Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. I'm Jay Goldberg. Welcome to The Awesome. As promised, we have a special guest today. We are pleased to be joined by Callista Redmond, the CEO of Risk Five International. Hello, Callista. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome. So could we just maybe start off? Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What was your journey to get here and sort of what you do? Of course. So uh, today I'm the CEO of Risk Five International. Uh, Risk Five International is the um, home and uh, sort of the steward of the Risk Five uh, Open Standard Instruction Set Architecture. I know that sounds like a lot, uh, and it is a lot. Uh, we are a community of stakeholders and members who are driving uh, that open standard forward. Now, prior to Risk Five, I spent about 12 and a half years over at uh, IBM and had uh, various roles there in the hardware side of the business, culminating in uh, several open uh, hardware initiatives as well as ecosystem uh, cultivation uh, with a final role there as a VP ecosystem in the mainframe part of the business. And then before that, and then long ago past, I was an entrepreneur. So. Uh, kind of understanding the spectrum of challenges and needs uh, from uh, new companies all the way up to multinationals. Very interesting. Excellent. Excellent. So we have talked about RISC-V quite a bit on our post podcast. We've actually talked about a lot of architectures, but there are many that are known, right? I think our, many listeners in our community get x86, they get ARM, they know sort of what that, what those look like, what they can do, and who's doing what with them. So we're, 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 we're excited to talk a little bit more about RISC-V because I think there's a lot less of a broad understanding, if you will, at least in outside of technical circles, where I certainly see a lot of this gets discussed. Um, but there's some value propositions around RISC-V, right? That it is it is very open, and there's a lot of dynamics of that that are super different. And I, I'm I'm not sure that that I've really you know encountered this idea of what does it have what does it mean to have a truly open architecture. Um, so I would just sort of love for you to kind of expand upon that because maybe it's not new, but regardless, I think there's elements of this that are super interesting. So 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 how does that operate? Like how does that work when people think about or or when you think about this idea that it's it's an open architecture? Yeah, well, first I'll leave you with a fun fact, and that is that there have been more than 50 architectures over the last several decades, And but of those, ARM and Intel have sort of taken, you know, the, the entire enchilada. I mean, they absolutely have nearly all workloads, uh, save for those who are starting to build on RISC-V. And, you know, RISC-V is a open standard. And that's different than open source software. An open standard, you know, think of it like Ethernet. Once upon a time in the networking and data center business, you know, the same folks that you got your server from also provided all the networking in between because it was proprietary. And along came Ethernet. Ethernet is a global open um, standard. And now everyone can kind of plug and play whatever they like onto that Ethernet-based network, and you're no longer locked into just one vendor or uh, solution uh, because of that. So 
uh, you know, standards work a little differently than open source hard or software in that, you know, standards are frozen. You, you There's not a ongoing continuous change updates, patches because it's hardware, right? When you get to, you know, a significant change or a patch or an update, that's called a product recall. And you don't want that. If you have hardware, you don't want to have to do a recall, right? So you want to work off of global open standards that are frozen. So, you know, the way that works behind the scenes is that a group of us get together, anyone actually may join, uh, to get together to develop and cultivate what those standards are. Uh, they are, uh, you know, agreed upon, ratified, and frozen for the test of time. And that, you know, then you can build strategically for decades to come on that frozen standard. Uh, you can build uh, products that combine open building blocks. You can add your own proprietary extensions and then uh, take your product to market, uh, which is, you know, similar to any open play is that you take those shared common building blocks and then add your differentiation on top of that and go to market and you know, with uh, with with luck and a lot of thought and insight, you become wildly successful with your you know differentiated solution. Hmm. I think this uh, this contrast, or at least I guess perhaps a, a misconception, right, about what open standards versus open sources is a really important distinction because even you know even today and a lot of the write ups I've seen um, you know recently from people tweeting about this or writing about just risk five in general and some of the momentum still refer to it as, as open source. And, and I do think, right, there's a, there's an element of this that, you know, anyone can go and acquire, which is why I think they feel like it's a open source ish kind of thing, but they, they, they miss that abstract, which is that there is a committee actually defining what this is. And then it is what goes open for everybody to sort of understand. Is that a, a good distinction of just kind of from an from a technological standpoint, right? Architecture, how you would sort of make that distinguish between open standards versus open source? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly it. And you know, think about the Bluetooth or the uh, the USB jack on the side of your laptop. Do you want every manufacturer going off and changing how that works? Or would you like your USB stuff to plug and play into any other USB stuff, right? So that's where standards are a lot different than open source software, which you know has a lot more nuances and updates that you can apply to that. When uh, you know your phone has an update and you want to continue using other software on your phone, you know, there may be updates to that too, but they continue to interoperate because you can change that software more readily. And those are some of the things that kind of distinguish uh, standards from software. So, so along those lines, a common uh, concern or complaint we hear from people is that risk five, by being so open, risks getting fragmented and, you know, in such that everybody's risk five is a little bit different. Is, is, does that hold any weight? Is there any risk of that? Well, it's sort of a fun piece of FUD, right? So, the, you know, there's all these misconceptions out in the market, and some of them are kind of seeded by uh, competitive interest to, you know, folks that want you to use their architecture instead, which is fine. That's a business interest. But, you know, there's a distinction here, too. So fragmentation happens when there are multiple folks trying to do the exact same thing 
So you have multiple interests going on in parallel that, um, you know, everyone's trying to say, hey, I've, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm going to make a car and we're going to put the steering wheel on the left side. Oh, well, I'm going to make a car. I'm going to put the steering wheel on the right side. So you cause a little bit of headache for everyone else in the world. And, you know, we haven't all agreed in the world on which side the steering wheel goes on. <laughs> but that's fragmentation. That's doing the same thing different ways. Now, risk five does not prescribe that. We are very modular in how we build and you can compose, you know, your um, SOC based on those building blocks and compose it from the frozen pieces that you wish to use. So we focus here and foster diversity. That's doing different things using the same components. So, you know, one person wants to, build cars, the other person wants to build airplanes. They both need tires. So let's all use the same standard kind of concept behind tires. You have hubs and you know various locking lug nuts or whatever, um, but you conceptually use the same things. You just compose that in different ways to tackle different challenges. Uh, you don't want the same tires on your car that you're using on your airplane, but you're using the same design principles. And that's that's kind of where this comes down to. So doing different things, um, but using same, similar common building blocks, that's diversity. Fragmentation is where you decide to have, you know, multiple different ways to do the exact same thing. And by the way, other architectures have multiple ISAs. RISC-V, on the other hand, has one. And we're only going to have one, um, you know. And Risk Five wasn't, you know, just born yesterday. It was actually cultivated in the '80s. Uh, and the reason it's called Risk Five is it is the fi- fifth version and final version mm-hmm. of the original Risk architecture that uh, came out of Berkeley. And by the way, you know, uh, ARM has a Risk-based architecture, and uh, Intel has a CISC-based architecture. And that's, you know, that's I'm sure perhaps a whole other show in itself. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a new architecture. In fact, it's sort of the hardened version, modular version, rather than incrementally built version uh, that uh, really is unleashing the level of innovation we see and the design freedom that is now uh, being, uh, is higher in demand based on the different areas where compute uh, processing is being called for. And, and what kind of mechanisms does RISC-V International or the community more broadly use to keep everybody aligned? Well, we have a uh, pretty strong process and uh, governing policies uh, around how each extension or piece uh, may be uh, proposed, worked on, collaborated on, and brought through to ratification. Uh, so, you know, similar to other open models, it, it isn't just everyone can throw their code up and away we go. Um, you know, work groups get composed and organized around shared interest areas. And in some cases, you may have a starting point that's been contributed by an organization. In other cases, you, you start working with the, uh, you know, the experts in that field to develop what that extension or specification could be. And then that then goes through approval processes at you know work group and governing body levels and fin- final ratification by the board of directors. So there is a governing process, um, and we have a you know a hierarchy and uh, org chart of um, 
you know, horizontal as well as vertical areas, uh, ranging from, you know, security uh, to, you know, different uh, functional areas that we work on. We have about 70 different work groups going today, uh, as well as several horizontal uh, committees that oversee, you know, things to keep those working in concert. Right, so the governing of all of these work groups takes a lot of orchestration to ensure that the decisions or uh, proposals by one group don't run into conflict with another group. Got, got it. So at, moving beyond the architecture, what, what about software? Right? Because I've, I've worked in data center. I've spent a lot of time trying to get ARM into the data center. And third-party software is was a very big barrier, a big sort of speed bump along that process. What's happening on the software front? How do you keep, how do you encourage third-party ISVs to get involved? How's that, how's that progressing? So there are a couple of naturally occurring forces. First of all, if you're designing a chip, you don't want to go too far off into the weeds and in which would require you to have your own software stack independent of the community software stack. So by the way, that's a force working against fragmentation. And then second, you know, no single company or country or anyone can really afford to build their own entire software stack. Those days are long gone. So, you know, by having an open standard, anyone can bring their software to that, to the RISC-V architecture. And that enables choice. It uh, diminishes vendor lock-in. It provides uh, growth opportunities for a lot of the software in the ecosystem to truly, uh, you know, optimize for RISC-V, not just run on top of a black box, but rather to, you know, fine-tune to the nuances that RISC-V has to offer. Uh, and we have a lot of tool chain and operating system support already. And further, unlike some of the other architectures, we only have a single hypervisor standard. So that really simplifies and unifies a lot of our application support. And today we have thousands of developers that are working on this. Part of being in an open uh, ecosystem with an open standard is you benefit from the collective investment, not just of, of cash, but of engineers that have shared collective interest in this success. So, you know, if you're sitting in a uh, software application group or say an operating system, it's in your interest to run on all of these architectures because that's business opportunity. And once you port to one, it's pretty uh, low barrier to port across multiple different architectures. And that's true of RISC-V as well. And so we're making that as easy as possible. Uh, so that's not just a technical feasibility, but also a business imperative that we're seeing. Uh, so that is very helpful. We also, you know, we, we really come with a lot fewer extensions and instructions, uh, which is a very modern design approach. The, uh, the other architectures really um, took an incremental approach, right? So they started with a base once upon a long time ago and have steadily built on top of that. And when you use that architecture, you get the entire thing. Pieces you uh, need, pieces you may not require. Uh, for RISC-V, you get, you know, this is a modular build, so you can take just what you need um, for your particular implementation or workload type 
And that simplifies things not only for your implementation, but for the ecosystem that's depending on it. And I would, uh, I would also point out that, you know, this week you probably also saw the announcements around RISE. Uh, RISE is a, uh, you know, a, a directed fund that is going to be investing specifically in some of the areas to support uh, RISC-V ecosystem to accelerate that journey. We're continuing to be, you know, RISC-V is continuing to be the center of gravity for uh, all of the ecosystem to keep us working in concert and harmony. And RISE is going to take on uh, a lot of the additional areas around development tools, language runtimes, firmware, kernel and virtualization, compilers, tool chain, simulators, emulators, these types of things that are really uh, helpful to bring uh, the rest of the ecosystem quickly on board. Yeah, yeah. Just following up on on Rise, I, I saw that announcement and I, I thought it was it was super interesting. Who who were some of the founding members there? We have Google and Intel as chairs, uh, which is Google's not surprising. They've they've spoken a lot about their interest in Risk Five, but uh, Intel, they have another. You know, they're they, they are x86, and here they are showing up in full support of Risk Five. That seems pretty pretty important. And you also have companies like Nvidia and MediaTek, who are very deep into the ARM ecosystem. And I don't think I've ever heard Nvidia talk at all about Risk Five. Uh, it's, it seems like there's a pretty strong level of support across a, a, a wide range of the industry. Yeah, um, you know, NVIDIA has been on our board of directors for a long time, and they have been leveraging RISC-V as part of their uh, microcontrollers for many years now. Um, in fact, when they were contemplating the acquisition of ARM, you even heard Jensen stand up and say, you know, regardless of where that transaction goes, we are continuing... Uh, unchanged on our risk five strategy. Uh, so that continued through that uh, those discussions and continues today. Uh, Nvidia is a deeply invested um, part of our organization. Um, you know, you talked about Intel and how it's interesting that they're investing in risk five while they have their uh, existing x86 business. You know, when you look back at, uh, you know, if it's Throwback Thursday, I think it's Friday today, but if you, if you look back to Throwback Thursday back in 2001, um, you know, the world was frustrated that, um, you know, Microsoft was gleaning licenses with every piece of hardware sold. Uh, and, you know, so everyone said, well, you know, hey, what about this Linux thing? And IBM, who, by the way, had a formidable software business, planted a billion-dollar flag on Linux and said, let's go. We mm -hmm. can have both proprietary and open. So Intel comes along, and about a year ago, a year, year and small change ago, planted a billion-dollar flag on RISC-V, saying, you know what, we've got a great uh, x86 business. We're not threatened by risk five entering into the space too. In fact, it expands our opportunity. In particular for Intel, they've got multiple lines of business, uh, a foundry, right, that they'd like to fill. And, uh, you know, for those organizations who have their own um, architectures, whether it's, you know, um, you know, the stuff that NVIDIA is doing or things that Intel is doing, having a additional uh, architecture to work with feeds into their business model and actually supports their business model. It is not, um, you know, something that they feel is going to cannibalize their existing business. And, and on the software front, I'm just sort of circling back to that. 
I think in the early days, there was a lot of, I don't want to say hobbyists, but enthusiast interest, volunteers in the community. But it seems like there's been a big shift in the last few years where you're starting to see enterprise software enterprises start to contribute meaningfully as well. I noticed Red Hat was in the rise announcement as well. It, are, are we are we firmly in the, that sort of past that transition point where you have a lot of interest from in, institutions, enterprises, corporates investing in the software side, committing, contributing to the to the project? I think that we are growing on all fronts. Um, we have more than 3,500 members today, many of whom are, you know, seated in multinationals or startups. I mean, the barriers to entry and building a meaningful business, uh, you know, with a microarchitecture are profound and have those barriers are gone. You know, you no longer need millions in, uh, you know, of, of dollars to invest in all parts of that, whether it's the engineers or the lawyers to negotiate an agreement, <laughs> that, that's not required anymore. Anyone can participate and that's what's going on because the opportunity is huge. The opportunity in automotive for uh, autonomous or assisted driving, the opportunity in data center to add AI for competitive differentiation the opportunity from, uh, you know, in your cell phone, right? There's like more than a dozen microprocessors in your cell phone. Some of those are quite probably going to be, are or will be risk five, right? Are already today for many. Uh, you know, you look at the Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth capabilities in your phone. Many of those are risk five already. You know, NVIDIA has been shipping risk five with their GPUs for years. Um, that's not how they advertise their product. Hey, come get my Risk Five microprocessor. You know, like that's that's not the the sale point there. Um, you know, so the software ecosystem is coming on board quickly because there's that collective interest, there's that collective strategic value to their their organizations as well as to the folks who are within the Risk Five community to upstream to those uh, particular uh, open source. Uh, implement or open source software or other uh, key building blocks. So you see a lot of that today. In fact, we've had to re-architect our entire slide on, you know, what does our software ecosystem look like? Because mm. it's starting to uh, kind of burst on the, on the sides and uh, the, the logos are getting smaller and smaller as we cram more onto the page. Um, but, you know, overall, are we seeing more hobbyists or more multinationals? The answer is yes, we are across all fronts, whether it's new entries, new entrants to the field, you know, the VC community continues to be pretty hot on uh, risk five. In fact, we're getting more calls now to talk to institutional investors as well. Uh, so folks who are saying, Hey, Dell, what are you doing on risk five? Right. <laughs> After their CTO started talking about, you know, risk five. Yeah. HPC, that's where the future is going to be. After you hear from, you know, folks that, uh, at, at, you know, name your favorite multinational or hyperscale that are starting to talk more openly about where they're leveraging risk five. The reason they're choosing it is because, you know, there's unlimited opportunity. The ability to innovate and that freedom of design is something you just don't have on another architecture unless you, you know, are Apple, right? Like, <laughs> you just don't have that kind of freedom because you don't have that license. You don't have that transparency and visibility to really make those kinds of changes. 
and many of these organizations, whether they're uh, you know, large enterprise, hyperscale, OEMs, or um, systems providers are digging in deeper and designing their own microarchitectures. Hmm. So you touched on this a little bit. You highlighted a couple markets, and that's been something that, that Jay and I have gone back and forth with, just talking about where where we see kind of these pockets of opportunity, um, you know, for Risk Five. So, so one, I want to talk about that, but but in light of that, I also, as we follow this thread about software, and I agree with you in terms of the momentum that you're getting, um, do you, do you feel like there's a risk? <laughs> I didn't even mean to use that word, but, but a, uh, a challenge that risk five goes to, to too many places. Like, could it, could it, is there too much diversity? Like it, would that be a bad thing or is it really just, let's focus on these use cases now and then let it go to all these other places. Meaning let's get the software support for HPC or AI or automotive and, and build up the, the, the standard there. But because it's so flexible, there really are a lot of places it could go. But I'm sort of curious how you see the markets, right? It's not going to be one thing. There's certainly a lot of opportunity, but I also am concerned that it tries to do too much at a time where there are some very low-hanging fruit of value. So if you're on an eight-lane highway and you're told, listen, we got to let these three lanes go first. So the, the other, you know, these others are, you're just going to sit there and wait till they get further down the track. And you're in a different lane, but you're still going to have to wait. It's not like you're going to route into that lane. It's sort of the same thing. If you're a stakeholder in one particular area, you're less affected by what's going on in these other areas. So if you're an embedded or data center, you're not running necessarily on the same stuff because we're not building the extensions for just one piece of that portfolio. There are some that are more useful to others than others to different groups, but that's why we have 70 different groups going at the same time. So all 70 are running in parallel. All lanes are open. And that, you know, it's not a, a scenario where you ask one stakeholder to put their needs on hold while you go address another one. It's an arena where those interests have some overlap that we should do them together. And that's an area where there's enough distinct interest that we have the breadth and depth across our community to, to work on all of them. We have more than 11,000 engineers in our community today that are, hmm. uh, you know, sleeves rolled up, hands on code, running at this every day. Um, and, you know, there's no, uh, you, you can't go to a company and say like, I appreciate you're in the data center space, but we're going to go work on embedded for a while. We'll circle right. back later. Right. They're not going to wait. That's not how business is going to work. Um, and so, you know, we are able to you know, pursue multiple of these at the same time. And that's why the internal governance and across these groups and engaging in these groups is so important. If you're developing for something that, you know, hardware takes time. Yeah. If you're developing something for a data center that's coming out in three to five years, you need us and want us working on that collective ecosystem at the same time, as well as the base building blocks to get us there. And you want to be inside the kitchen looking at what ingredients are going into the soup so that you develop accordingly mm. and are in compliance with that uh, specification as it's ratified. So those, you know, that's part of the strategic advantage right there. Now, I will say that the robust ecosystem needed in enterprise 
is different than the workload by workload that you tend to see in embedded. So it is more challenging and it, is, it does take a little bit more time. Uh, RISC-V certainly did get its roots in running start in embedded and in that smaller form factor space. So, so if I was to say, I mean, I think I know your answer, but right. So the question at broad is like, what markets are right for risk five? I think you would say all of them, right? There, there really yeah. isn't a place where it can't go. And then I guess more specifically there, I, I haven't dug into the technical depths of this as much as I'd like to, but there isn't any workload that's off limits for risk five. That's correct. That's correct. And there are things that we're doing horizontally uh, around security and safety that will underpin many of these workloads uh, simultaneously. Uh, and there are, are you know, features and things that we're finding in some of the high performance stuff that is very applicable also then to some of the low performance uh, or, or lower power consumption uh, types of implementations. Now, RISC-V International doesn't do the implementations, but we are uh, cultivating, you know, uh, a whole test suite of compatibility uh, that is very helpful to the ecosystem. We've got one of those ready to go today, and we're coming out with more. Um, and those are the pieces that will ensure that that um, compatibility stays intact as you go to market. Okay. What, what about geographically? We just talked about industry. What about geography? Where, where are we seeing the most adoption of RISC-V? You know, it's interesting. I've been here for a little more than four years. And across that time, I, I measure it every single month. Where are we geographically, right? And we have remained consistently spread about a third North America, a third Europe, and a third APAC. Um, so it's been pretty even. I would say that the most commercial activity has been North America and APAC with the most research type of, of activity going on in Europe. Now, many of our stakeholders, as, as you can see, are multinationals, right? So they you know, have interest in many different geographies and markets. Um, we're seeing increased activity in ad additional regions that are you know, not kind of the primaries in those uh, those three, you know, such as uh, a lot of investment going on in India, while part of APAC, we're seeing like much deeper investment going on there. Um, you know, and so those are the types of things that we see as, as well as Latin America, by the way. So we're, we're seeing a lot of those types of activities really start to cultivate a, you know, that global sense of, hey, this is where I go to participate in you know, global partnerships, development partners, channel relationships, markets, and other opportunities by engaging in this uh, particular open standard. Interesting. And uh, I suppose I have to ask about China. Uh, it, from, from my experience, it seems like there is just incredible, immense interest among the thousands of fabulous companies in China today for risk five. Um, you know, I think in a lot of senses, they, they were some of the earliest adopters, at least on the commercial, you know, broad, broad based commercial terms. Uh, is that continuing? How, how is RISC-V being received in China? Yeah, RISC-V continues to be as strong as ever uh, in China. Uh, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate is the level of contributions that we see coming from China as well. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it is uh, it has been you know, fantastic to see them deploy entire development labs towards contributing to uh, you know some of the base specifications and things that are you know transparent, available for everyone to engage in that in that global um, you know sort of appreciation of artifacts. Um, so they continue to be both contributing to the uh, open standard and to our work groups and to all of our efforts across the, across the board, uh, as well as we continue to see a lot of progress in the community there, um, you know, ranging from, you know, data center to, you know, AI ML to, you know, data center and cloud, uh, as well as, you know, some of the advances that they're making around embedded. So they, they certainly are, are doing uh, very strong on volume. Um, and have been, you know, some of the earliest ones to get uh, into production as well. On this this geography question, just the way that this is that that Risk Five is structured and its architecture, right? There, you mentioned diversity versus fragmentation, which I think is a really great point. And I assume that that kind of translates as well geography, right? There isn't going to be some rogue island that China is on with Risk Five or Europe, right? While they can do their own things because it's flexible, there's still relatively going to be a base of standards that's consistent, right, across geographies. You know, I've I've actually had spoken with governments in many different regions and countries. Um, the draw of participating in a global standard to have global development partner supply chain and opportunity, meaning markets and customers, is far stronger pull than the need to, uh, you know, kind of have their own. Because if you say you have your own like country specific risk five ISA, how far are you going to go with that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, no one's going to want to work with you, right? Like they're not, how are you going to get development partners and markets and grow an ecosystem? No, no country can afford to do that because you leave out the potential and the opportunity of engaging globally. Uh, you know, whether it's what comes into your product or where you can sell your product. And that's, you know, it's, it, you know, if if only we all had the same electric plug adapters, we wouldn't have to carry right. those in our travel right. kits, right? Like that. There's an example, right? But but this goes a bit deeper than that, and you know, those are lessons that we've learned in adopting global standards that can really uh, open up rapidly, open up those opportunities. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. It's interesting. So I, I want to just circle back to the to the to the rise point again just, just because i i feel like i mean I, it's, it, it got good publicity but perhaps not as much publicity as i as i think it deserves but but is it sort of correct in in the interpretation of that 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 was a that's a big milestone in moving this ecosystem forward and, and i say that because you know i get in a lot of conversations with companies that compete you know roughly with you architecturally. And there's always been this sort of question of like, all right, is it is it inevitable, right? Is it just a matter of time? Because that's what a lot of them hear, right? They just hear, well, it's just a matter of time for, for Risk Five. But it feels like Rise and its supporting members, and I have to imagine there are people deeply involved in the Rise community who didn't want their name on their list, that list for strategic reasons. Um, but that this was sort of a big milestone and I guess a big moment, right, for this ecosystem. 
I think it's a significant level of interest in, in shared uh, investment. I think that the larger picture of the rapid progress our ecosystem is making uh, may have just been going on quietly in the background and not recognized and appreciated by, you know, kind of the larger um, industry view. We've been progressing a lot of these pieces. The, the, the portions that RISE is, is helping out with are some of the underlying things that are needed by the whole community uh, to fast track or accelerate the rest of the workloads, right? So it is huge and it is a great investment and it's a testament to where we are and the strategic merit that folks place on RISC-V. Um, I see it as an accelerator to mm. the ecosystem, an ecosystem that has been growing very steadily, um, you know, hundreds of different <laughs> packages and libraries and other, you know, operating systems and tools. I mean, you saw uh, last year, you know, the announcements around Android on RISC-V. You saw announcements from Qualcomm already shipping 650 million cores. I mean, yeah. the volume's already been out there. Um, and based on the announcements, you have to, you know, put two and two together to understand that like, these companies aren't going into production without the ecosystem that's going to run on it. So many of these base loads and things have been in motion or over the finish line for some time. And it's the acceleration of the remaining, you know, essential elements that we see uh, as getting a significant boost from Rise. And so we're ex extremely grateful for it. Um, but it, it is something where it is moving us forward together, um, you know, as an industry. Yes. Interesting. Um, okay. Last, last question. I think I know what you'll say, but just, just, just curious. What do you think the single biggest hurdle at the moment is for risk five? The single biggest hurdle. Well, uh, let's see. You know, there's always um, chicken and egg syndrome, right? Like, do I build it and go to market or do I wait for someone else to do it first? Or is the ecosystem there? Or will the ecosystem be there when I get there? Um, and so it's timing. So the biggest challenge for many stakeholders in, uh, you know, kind of selecting risk five as an architecture is timing. Mm. They have very specific workloads. And so, yeah, this speaks to ecosystem. Is everything I need there and ready to go? Um, we're at that tipping point across many different industries. And so, you know, in this year, next year, the following years where you're going to see a tremendous increase in the volume across many different sectors. Uh, so that's something where, you know, I think uh, some of our colleagues at another architecture said, oh, you know, risk five, it's going to take them decades to right. catch up to us. It took us 20 years to do this. Like it's not going to take us 20 years, right? Because we're not just one company like aiming at this like target right. together. We're many companies going collectively forward. So, you know, what may have taken decades before we see within sight, you know, within three to five years, well, that's about how long it takes hardware to develop too. So this, you know, we're just at the beginning, but we're fundamentally changing the course of where computing has been and where it's going. Mm. I think that's a great, 
a, a great point and, and conclusion. And, and you're, you're totally right. I mean, I feel like mo- momentum at this point, just sheer conversations that's having in, in the semi world is really at a, at an all time high. So very, very interesting, uh, discussion. And, uh, Thank you very much for coming on. We, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. I uh, hope we can catch up again soon. Yes, for sure. And thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.